Howdy, howdy, do who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And this is episode 296. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire yeah. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. A bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 you fans. Welcome back to another week. Hope you're keeping well and safe. You've had a cracking week, and they've all managed to do something Doctor Who related. Yes, it's been a quite old week, dude. I must admit. Yeah, well, apart from the gale force wind and <laughs> apart from, apart from that, yeah. yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like there's a hurricane going on outside. It's like really rough. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, but yeah, apart from that, very quiet old week. Well, Doctor Who, indeed. Yeah, because we had quite a busy last couple of weeks or busy last week where we spoke about the rumours around Jodie potentially leaving yeah nothing on that no announcement from the BBC no no still no announcement the only thing I've heard around that sort of thing is Mm -hmm. uh, old Chibbers is definitely staying apparently yeah yeah I've had some people get in contact to say that Chibbers is off as well at the same time but yeah, I've also heard that he's st- he's he's sticking around as well for at least another season after after thirteen. So, but yeah, it's interesting because that's quite normally that's really big news, isn't it? In our world, in terms of Doctor Who fandom, when we hear that a Doctor's leaving, normally it's it's like a a thing that builds up over time, and by the time the announcement actually comes, it's it, we've already yes, known about it for weeks, months on end. Yeah. But for some reason, this one's fallen flat completely. Like we had a real big week, week's worth of, oh my God, Jodie's going and all that stuff. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I haven't seen like, I haven't seen any YouTube videos about it. I haven't seen any blog posts or any other podcasters chatting about it really. So 
it's a bit of a flash in the pan thing which is strange for because um over the past i don't know how long has jody been the doctor now what is it it's four years we've seen her on screen three or four years maybe five yeah two series but it's been about three years hasn't it something yeah. like that yeah it's uh, fandom has never shied away from <laughs> from talking about jody and and chibbers and all that stuff so it's weird it's weird that we've got nothing to talk about in terms of that new story yeah but, i was yeah. just laughing because i do you remember when they there was that thing about uh chibnall stormy offset chibnall's left He's left the set and he's never coming back. And it turned out to just be a load of old rubbish. There's like rumours of Pete Mateague was taking over and he'd had to finish producing the series because Chibnall had stormed off. And so, I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe Jodie isn't leaving. Maybe it was all a lie. Yeah. But I think it's true. I, I think um, <laughs> we'll, we'll know for sure. I think what, what normally happens is if they don't officially announce it, if it's true, they don't officially announce it. The thing that gives it away is so you get people that check IMDb and places like that. As soon as they see she's got another job or she's sort of being credited as appearing in something, that's normally an indication of, ah, right, they're off. Because she can't, I don't think she can really film anything if she's doing Dot 2 because it takes up so much of the year, doesn't it? I remember, mm. wasn't that one of the things Capaldi said? that it, He loved the role, but it was exhausting. It literally is like non-stop filming for so many months a year and you have to move away from your family for all that time and it's quite a big commitment isn't it making dot two so yeah and I th- yeah I, th- I think it also depends on um i think it does depend also on what's going on with the show at the minute and who you are mm. as a person i know this is kind of obvious but if we think back to the early days of who when the 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 confidential things were going on and they followed david yeah. tennant around and he did that he did that video diary as well for a whole series, I think it was. And it showed him and his flat in Cardiff and the different things he was up to. And I think David Tennant at that point in his life, I didn't, don't think he quite minded it really. I think he was obviously knackered, but I don't think he minded it. Whereas someone like Capaldi, who was a lot older. Um, and you have to remember as well that they really did put that on. Like they flew him and and jenna coleman around the world on a grand tour didn't they as well yeah yeah in between right, yeah. filming so they really laid it on for um i can remember seeing him in sydney or somewhere with the sydney bridge but yeah they really yeah yeah that was it. I think they went the to, place, didn't they? yeah japan oh Australia. yeah do you remember they gave yeah. him that crazy somebody had done him a, a painting of the turban it was really like abstract and <laughs> they handed it to him and their reaction of oh that's uh that's lovely. Um, <laughs> wonder what happened to that to the skip just outside the conference center. But um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they went all over the place. But I was thinking also, Tennant would have been quite. He was a, a, a young single man mm-hmm. back when he exactly. made Doctor Who, and um, he dated Madame de Pompadour for a bit, and now he's married to um, Georgia uh, Moffat, now Tennant, and he's got about four or five kids as well. So his life's completely changed. So I guess if he was doing Doctor Who now, he'd probably find it more difficult, I suppose, because he is a family man now, isn't he? Whereas before he was all young, free and single and enjoying and having a very good time, but I should imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Down. Yeah, I, th- I think Capaldi was... I don't know if Capaldi has any children or not, but I know he's certainly been married for a long time. and So, mm. you know... Probably wasn't. Probably was okay. I imagine it's one of those things where, in the first instance, you're like, "Oh, great! This is going to be awesome. I'm playing the Doctor. Yeah, this is going to be great." And then ten months later, you're like, "Yeah, 
I'm playing the doctor. I haven't slept in a week because we've been doing night shoots and I can't sleep during the day and I'm absolutely knackered, but I'm good. <laughs> there was, yeah, I remember, well, what did we see him on where he looked exhausted, poor guy, didn't he? He just looked, I think he actually said, didn't he, how he was finding the schedule really hard and we said he looked absolutely shattered. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, it was some interview, wasn't it? And uh, He just said, oh, the way I he need spoke a break. As well. yeah, yeah, the way he spoke and he, he looked like he'd aged about... <laughs> 10 years and about six months yeah. and he just sounded dreadful as well mm. come remember. Oh, yeah so okay. uh but yeah i mean I, I wonder how that's changed in terms of as the show has moved on throughout throughout since uh since 2005 because i'm not sure about television standards and filming regulations mm. and all that stuff <clears throat> yeah. i'm not sure if being the doctor is a bit like being a lorry driver like <laughs> with a lorry driver you can only drive a set amount of hours per day and you have to stop don't you and take a break and you can't go any further i wonder if it's like that as an actor even though the schedule is full on and it's really busy you can only do so amount you know a certain amount of hours and then you have to stop i'm not sure but i would imagine it must be very restricted at the minute Uh, with covid they probably have to stop and have a test every couple of hours i don't know it must be must be very i would assume Mm. some sort of uh, regulations in place yeah at the minute yeah yeah but yeah we haven't heard anything about jodie or anything like she hasn't said anything obviously her agent nothing from the beeb or chibbers so it's all very hush hush as we knew it would be we we know we know the we know the beeb by now (laughs) we know that uh they'll announce it with big fanfare at some point and it will be like this great surprise that's come out of nowhere and we'll all be just yeah yeah we know we know Thanks yeah. for letting us know, but we knew, we knew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, um, so nothing on that front, and that's um, that's the show in a nutshell this week. We haven't uh, we haven't got any news to talk about. I've had a good old look through and research to see if there's anything worthwhile, but alas, oh god, I hate saying that. I slapped myself the other day for saying that. What well, alas? It's bloody Boris Johnson, you know. <laughs> what alas? It's, it's his favourite word, like because I. I've never noticed you say it before, then, and now you've pointed it out. I'm going to notice it all the time. Yeah, I know, mate. Yeah, mm. he just mm. seems to be. Yeah, you know, we rolled out the the vaccines and everything's it's, great, but we'd like to get everybody done. But alas, we can't get everybody <laughs> done. It's I'm like every time he says it, I laugh. I laugh, oh, and my dear. wife's like, "You're I'm laughing at us." That now. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's become habit. You know, when you say something or you notice something that someone else is saying, then you pick that up as a habit, and then you. Yeah, so it's driving me mad. So I'm, I do know what you mean. It's yeah, it, it is easy to do. Yes, to pick these things up and not even realise. Sometimes yeah. as well, when I'm filming a video, I'll I'll say the same word over and over again without realising until I watch it back. So I'll say, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, oh, that is that is so beautiful. That is, and uh, oh, the Tardis lamp. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. That lamp and the way this door opens, it's it's beautiful. The way and you think, oh God, I didn't know I was doing that <laughs> until you watch the video back and you're like. And you know that someone's going to pick up on it and be like, stop saying beautiful, dude. Use another <laughs> word. You're like, I didn't know I was doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's very no, easy to do. Very easy to do. Yeah. Uh, talking of old Jody, um, the only Dot 2 related thing I've done this week. Uh, so, you know, remember this VR game, Dot 2 Edge of Time? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's just come out. Um, as you know, I'm not a gamer. I'm useless at games. <laughs> hopeless. Um, I've got no patience. As soon as I die, that's it. I know. The amount of Dot 2 games I've bought over the years and I've played them once, died, and then it's just sat in a drawer rotting uh, is unbelievable. I just got no time for them. But 
uh, Edge of Time was on sale. And my other half was saying, oh, we bought that VR set and we never use it. And it was like $9.99. Oh, cool. And uh, we watched the trailer and, you know, you step into the TARDIS and stuff. And I said, it does look pretty good, actually. I mean, it's got to be worth $9.99, isn't it? So we, we downloaded it. And um, what I've played of it is very good. But I don't know. Have you got a VR set? I haven't, mate. No, I've. Well, no. I, the thing is, I was enjoying it, but I had to stop playing. And I literally, I literally only played it for 10, well, maybe 15, 20 minutes max. And I felt really sick because oh, yeah. of the motion, mm-hmm. like the motion thing. And um, I, so I stopped playing. I said, oh, I think I, I could sort of feel myself feeling ill in the headset. So I said, oh, I'm going to have to uh, stop for a minute because I feel really weird. So I took it off. I thought I'd give myself five minutes. So I was really enjoying it. It's like a sort of um, clue. You had to sort of find some clues. And Jodie was waffling on the background like she does and stuff. And there was these <laughs> creatures in some washing machines. It was all quite good. But um, I felt ill for about nearly half an hour, nearly an hour afterwards. Uh, which I don't know if that's meant to be. I was like, is, am I meant to still be feeling sick? <laughs> so I'm um, I'm frightened to play it again. But I, I mean, this is probably because I'm not really a gamer. I don't really get involved in these things. It's the first time I've really sort of used um, the VR set that, that we've got. But yeah, is that normal? I mean, it, because you're sort of moving around in the game, I think I just felt like a, a bit like when you step off a, a roundabout or, you, or you've been out to sea. Or, <laughs> I felt really like queasy and, and sick and... Such a shame because I was really enjoying the game, but I'm just scared to play it again because I really did feel weird after playing it. And I literally only played it for like 10 minutes. But uh, have you ever done any of the VR stuff? I know you haven't got it, but have you ever done any? Is it like, uh, yeah, is, this, is this normal? Uh, yeah, I've played it a, a friend of mine um, very briefly Yeah, um, a, a couple of years ago. But it's more common than you think, mate. It's, um, is it? Yeah, it's uh, people have got different tolerances to... Um, uh, to these things and my brother-in-law actually suffers from that not from vr but just even normal video games not every game but just a few games for some reason they just make him feel he gets motion sickness a little bit and it motion makes him sickness, feel that's it. yeah yeah it makes him feel a bit queasy and he has to stop but i've i've heard of that quite a few times it's pretty common but mm. yeah but the game itself though it was pretty good though you started well what, well. I, what I, the, the little i played of it um i was really enjoying it and it was quite cool to feel like you were immersed in the world sort of thing. The only thing is, though, so you've got like a hand in front of you, <laughs> which you obviously use to open drawers and things, and it was really hard to control, and I was getting really frustrated with that. I was, so I was trying to open this drawer, and it would sort of grip it and open it a little bit, and then it the hands, it wasn't, I don't know, I felt like <laughs> it, it was glitching a bit, right. and um, that was really annoying me because it was right at the start of the game as well. So I was like, well, I, I, I need to open this drawer, you know, but um, apart from that, but no, it, it seemed pretty good um what i played of it I, I probably will give it another go maybe i just need to get used to it i don't know i'll just yeah but yeah i didn't last long unfortunately but <laughs> I, I haven't really done much else um it's tom baker's birthday yesterday that was pretty cool of course uh, well yeah. obviously you yesterday we're recording this on a thursday but uh, wednesday um no, so many pictures of tom mm-hmm. doing the rounds on twitter and facebook that was lovely to see 87 years old crikey I was going to say, yeah. he must be nearly 90. Yeah, he's 87, isn't he? Yeah. 87, yeah. yeah, so that was good. And still and, going, uh, still going, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, in terms of work, loads. not yeah. like being alive, but, you know, just in terms of still recording at Big Finish and playing the Doctor, it's amazing. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, he's well into his Big Finish stuff now. They've recorded, uh, they've got so much in the can. They're just recording, recording, recording with Tom, aren't they? So they've got so much still 
to release, which is which is cool. Um, but yeah, apart from that, that's that's been me. I haven't really done much else this, this week. Not too related. Y- yourself? Uh, yeah, it's been fairly quiet for me. The only thing I've done is I've watched another after I watched Terror of the Zygons, which was on Tuesday. Um, I watched uh, the Planet of Evil after that. I just on on BritBox, what happens is when you get to the end of an episode, it queues up the next one, and you can choose just to let it sort of also play. Yeah, unless you turn it off. So yeah, the first episode of Planet of Evil. Oh yeah, I'll give that a go. Is that a Leela? No. Uh, no, Sarah Jane, still Sarah. It's it's the one straight after Terror of the Zygons. It's um, yeah, it's uh, they they're off to um, uh, what's it called, Zeta Minor, and it's the um, the, the distress call, isn't it, from from Zeta Minor? And it's about the geological dudes. Uh, yeah, so I watched the first two episodes of that, uh, and then that's all I've done really. It's um. You know, it's funny. I should have known that. That I, that is a video that I took out to watch last week. A DVD, even video, um, <laughs> and I never got round to it. And I, I, it's, I, yeah, I picked it because I can't remember it. Um, I picked it out thinking, oh, that's a fourth Doctor story I've not watched very often, and uh, I was going to give it a whirl, but I never actually got round to watching it. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, not too bad. Um, we'll have to. We, it's on our plan to review. Right. At some point, we. I, I did a review, a review of it very early on in the show. So back in 2014, episode 10. Oh, wow. I did a solo review of it. But we, you and I need to review it together, really. But um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's got um, a fairly decent sort of small supporting cast. Um, yeah. And uh, yes. Uh, I think I get it mixed up with a Leela one. I don't know why. Is there, the, is there a Leela one with planet and so i don't know i always get it confused something else because i remember the forest bit at the start it's all studio mm-hmm. but it look but it looks like a sort of alien forest i remember that or is that the leela one? Oh, i'm getting confused. no no no. But it's um it is, it forest. is that one it is yeah it's the um yeah it's the morstron base uh and it's in that forest sort of area but yeah yeah a couple of interesting characters yeah uh Sorensen's pretty good and uh salamar the ship's control he's an interesting character and stuff so it's got a cool little Supporting cast, but yeah, I'll watch the other two eps um, uh, today or tomorrow. But that's the only thing I've done, dude, is watch a bit more, a bit more of Tom, which I thought was appropriate, seeing as it's uh, the birthday boy's birthday week and all that. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing the Tom story this week <clears throat> on the podcast. I hadn't, I don't think that was planned, was it? I think it's just coincidence that mm. it's his birthday week and we're doing the fourth Doctor. But that's, uh, yeah, that's quite nice. I'm glad we're doing that. Yeah, a happy accident. That's the word. Yeah. Yes. Oakley doakley okay okay so we haven't got any more uh we haven't got any news sorry uh, as we mentioned it's a fairly light so uh we're going to crack on with our review but before we get to that um i would like to wave um uh hello and welcome to any new listeners that have jumped on board the tardis this is, if this is your first time listening to the show it's good to have you here and long time listeners it's good to have you back also hearing us waffle on for another week um remember to subscribe to our show uh, whatever podcast app you use just do a search for us uh, the Big Blue Box podcast. You'll find us on there. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. So it lands uh, in your uh, podcast inbox, I suppose you would call it, every every Friday. Uh, and if you've got a minute to leave us a review and a rating, if you can do that, things like Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever, you can do that. That would be awesome because that helps us out loads and loads. Uh, we're on the, um, the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, there are links to those things on the website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. Um, come and interact and follow over on the socials and then on the website you can listen to all the shows there Um, plus you can check out all of the cool reviews and articles from our awesome writing team and lastly we have a free discord server 
and there's a link to that on the website. So come and come and join that and hang out with other other Doctor Who fans. Yes. Right, dude, review time. What have we got this week? Yeah, so this week it is <laughs> <laughs> This week I can't do the voice. It's not the it's not the Ice Warriors, it's the Zygons in terror of the Zygons. Why have you called me back? I hope you've got a very good reason. Take my word for it, my dear. There are ancient mysteries here. Evil spirits on Talakuru. Exactly what could have caused injuries like that, Doctor? Something very big, very heavy, and very savage. Uh, we have reason to believe there's something rather unusual in the Loch. Loch Ness? Yes, sir. Don't tell me you found the monster. As it happens, Your Grace, that's just what we do need. Ah! Machine guns may not be enough for you, yeah? Then what do you suggest? The voices are great, aren't they? Doctor. <laughs> Terror of the Zygons. Not Terror of the Autons, which I kept typing in when I was researching <laughs> this morning. Terror of the Zygons was first broadcast back on the 30th of August, 1975. Oh. It's a four-parter, and it wrapped up on the 20th of September, 1975. It was written by uh, Robert Stewart and directed by Douglas Camfield. Stars... Uh, obviously, Tom Baker as a doctor with Liz Sladen as Sarah Jane and Niamata as Harry. And then we have um, the unit guys back. So we've got Nick Courtney, John Levine, those guys. And uh, and then a fairly small cast of the of the, the locals around the, the lock. Uh, and then the synopsis for this one is having received an urgent request for assistance from the brig. They arrive in Scotland where they discover a mysterious force has destroyed three of the oil rigs in the local sea uh, the mystery deepens when a piece of wreckage is found with giant teeth marks on it and the trail leads to the shores of Loch Ness where they find that the legendary monster really does exist and uh, and is the murderous tool of the Zygons who are intent on overpowering the planet to the Doctor his companions and units must find a way to defeat the deadly monster and its controllers but the Zygons have the terrifying power to change shape the Doctor's life has never been in more danger as the line between allies and enemies is tested to the very limit. Right, dude. Terror of the Zygons. Hit me. What you got? Yeah. Well, I was worried um, this wasn't going to be as good as I remembered, um, but it is. I-, I loved it. I thought it was a really, really good story. I have watched it a few times over the years. Um, it, is, it is a bit of a go-to fourth doctor story for me but um obviously when we're reviewing stuff you sort of watch it through a critical eye so things you forgive you know when you're watching it just for pleasure you sort of um you're making notes about when when we're reviewing things so obviously you know i picked out a few things that uh, could have been better obviously uh but no overall i thought it's a, a really good fun 
um, quite adult at times story. Um, great cliffhanger. Well, a great cliffhanger to episode one. One of just one of the best. Such a scary, brilliant cliffhanger. Uh, Tom's superb. Um, I like the fact that Unit are in it. I know this is probably the last big Unit story for a while, um, and I think Tom works really well with Unit in this story. Even though I think Tom himself was quite keen to get rid of Unit and you know be his own doctor which you can understand but no i think it's a good story very very good i think the music's beautiful in it it's um different composer in this one which makes it stand out so it's jeffrey bergon doing the music instead of um dudley simpson and it's a beautiful score mm. like the the scene at the end with the tardis i it's just oh, i just loved it you know harry decides he's not gonna carry on traveling with the doctor and you've got a beautiful shot of the tardis in the forest in the background and the music flowing over that is just such a beautiful ending. But uh, yeah, it, it, it pretty much all works for me. The only negatives really, and, and I'm, I think this is obvious, is the Loch Ness Monster itself doesn't look very good. And it's a shame because I think normally it probably wouldn't stand out as much as it does. But because the rest of the production in this story is so high, I mean, the direction by Douglas Canfield is fantastic in this story. He's such a good director. The, the shots he gets, the way he films it, um, as, a, you know, as I said about the cliffhangers and the scene in the barn with Harry and the whole way it's shot, is the production is brilliant. It's very, very classy production. But um, it is let down, unfortunately, by that monster. And I think it stands out more because the rest of it looks so good, uh, unfortunately. But apart from that, I think it's a cracker. Really, really enjoyed it you know, from start to finish. I, I was going to watch it two episodes at a time. I thought I'd watch two and then two the next night, but I ended up watching all four in one go. I was just loving it. Cool. So yeah, it's a big thumbs up for me. It's still a, it's probably one of my favorite, uh, fourth doctor stories. I really, really like this one. Nice dude. What yeah, about nice, yourself? Yeah. Uh, yes, it's a thumbs up for me, mate. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one's got some, I think the reason why this one is often viewed as a bit of a classic and a lot of fans do like, although Tom, this particular series of Doctor Who is very, very good in my opinion. It's one of Tom's best um, series for me. Uh, just because it's got some cr- absolutely cracking stories, this series. It does, um, yeah. So, you know, after this one, we go on to Pyramids of Mars, which is one of the best classic Who episodes ever, in my opinion. And then The Brain of Morbius is also absolutely brilliant. A belter, yeah. And then The Seeds of Doom, which was also directed by oh, Camfield. Brilliant, yeah. We, we can't go into too much detail because we haven't done that yet as a review oh, properly. Spoiler. Um, okay. But it's no, no, it's no secret that we, we both like it. We've, you know, we both mentioned how good that is before. But so Series 13 is a really, really good classic series for me. It's one of Tom's best stuff. And I think the reason why Zygons stand out for me personally, anyway, is. I like the fact that this is the only time we see them in the classic years. Mm. It's not one of those, because however cool the Cybermen might be and the Daleks and so on, there's something there's something cool about only having the Zygons in this one story. So it makes them unique uh, to this. They don't appear in any other classic Doctor's stories. No, no, there's not this running um, kind of conflict and feud that the Doctor has with because that's one of the things that they they tapped into, I guess, over the classic years is this recurring feud with either the Master or certain aliens or monsters that the Doctor keeps running into. Mm. And uh, so this kind of... So the, the, because of that, 
there was a danger, I suppose, that the Zygons could have faded into into nothingness, really. And like some other monsters that we've seen just the one time, they, uh, you know, we, they could have just faded away and not really been much of it, not much of, made much of an impact, I guess. But because the writing is so good in this and the story is so good and it's very, very suspenseful, it doesn't it doesn't go for all out action a lot of the time. And it doesn't go for all-out horror. It's more of a sort of atmospheric, suspenseful story, which is really good. Um, so, yeah, so for me, mate, it's it's really cool because the Zygons are so unique. And they're not – we don't suffer from – like we've spoken about over the last couple of months, we don't have Zygon fatigue like we've had with Dalek fatigue and, mm, yeah. and you know, yeah. Cybermen to an extent with that stuff. So – yeah, I love it for that. And like you said, the score the score is really good as well. The, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes when I've got the 50th anniversary soundtrack box set playing on shuffle, when this one comes on, it, 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 it just brings a little smile to my face because it immediately transports you to those scenes. Mm, it does, in, yeah. In the stories, yeah. So the score is very cool. Um, it's interesting we, what you say about the Zygons, mate, because they obviously... There is something about them, isn't there? They, they made such an impact, and yet they are only in this one story, um, which, you know, I know it came out on VHS eventually, but you think all those years when it wasn't used before they started releasing things on video, they, yeah, there must be something about them that stuck in people's minds because they, they did make a big impact, and they weren't. It's surprising they weren't used again. You would think they'd be an obvious monster to, to bring back, and um, you'd think perhaps when... Graham Williams took over, you know, he's the new producer and of Doctor Who, and he's thinking, right, I need to make him my mark. Well, oh, I know, why don't I bring the Zygons back? It's, it is amazing that it took so many years for them to actually come back in the new series with Peter Capaldi, but, but yet people love them and remember them, and I think it's, it's down to the design a lot, I think. I think they, they look unusual and they look really good. I mean, 1975, uh, yeah, you can perhaps see the mouth piece you know <laughs> if you look really carefully but they actually work really really well a lot better than some of the you know some of the monsters we've seen in doctor i mean these guys they look good i mean they, they do look a bit rubbery i suppose you could say but there's something about the design of them <laughs> and the way the actors play them with that creepy whispery voice that just they really do stand out and it is i just find it surprising they weren't brought back but i agree with you in a way i like that uh, it makes it more special, doesn't it? Because it's it's that Zygon story. There's no, yeah. you know, there's nothing else. You don't sort of think, oh, here they are again, they're back or whatever. Um, and they could have done it. I think they say something at the end of the story about there's a load of Zygons out there or something. Because they were planning to sort of these Zygons were planning to bring all the others to Earth. So there's sort of a, a world built out there of Zygons. So they could have easily done it, but. Um, yeah. yeah, I used to I used to wish that we got them back, but I, I think I agree with you now. It makes them more special, just having this one really great story with them. Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's what makes them because you don't see them often. I think we did see them before, though, right? We saw at least well, we saw one of them in the Day of the Doctor, didn't we? Before Capaldi. oh, I'd forgot I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, they escaped. Yeah, I completely out of the, forgot that they were in that. Sorry, yeah, yeah he escapes out of the painting. That's right. At the beginning, and then, yeah, Tenant's Doctor gives one a big, a big Frenchie. Oh which yeah, is disgusting. How could I forget that they were in Day of the Doctor? Yeah. Yeah, but then, but that's just that's what we're talking about, though, because we don't see them often. 
you know, it's sometimes difficult to, to, to pin it down when we did see them. So I like the fact that they've just been very, they've just been sparring the use, just littered throughout mm-hmm. the show's history. Because uh, I'd hate to be, I'd hate to have a Zygon story where, because let's face it, all three of the stories, well, so this one, they're the Doctor and then the Capaldi, two-parter. Yeah. Uh, they might have popped up in very small little cameos or whatnot, I'm not sure, but in terms of them being the monster in a show, I'd hate for it to be another Zygon story and everyone's rolling their eyes like, here we go. Here's yeah, another Zygon. Yeah, yeah. So they're great monsters, remember- yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember liking the Capaldi one. I haven't watched it for a long time. I might, might give that a rewatch actually. Because I, the the thing I liked about that is they didn't change the design very much. I mean, some I, I mean, I don't like the new series Cybermen design, for example. I, and I, I, the Daleks, they did a quite a good job up, upgrading them. But the Silurians, I think they completely. I don't like the new series design of those. With the Zygons, they pretty much kept it to this. They just tweaked it slightly, um, which I'm glad about. They didn't sort of try and modernize them too much i think they, which was a good good decision but yes. i haven't watched that capaldi yep. one for a long time I, I i definitely got to give that a rewatch. actually remember quite liking it yeah it's got the famous speech hasn't it towards the end when he's got them both in the you know truth or consequence that, yeah that's the one yeah 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 that's a cracking story actually mm. so so far zygons are doing all right <laughs> yeah. they're doing all right um so i really yeah i really like them i think they're great they're great monsters and they've got this ruthlessness to them as well throughout this story. So throughout the story, when we go back and forth between there, they've got a secret layer, haven't they, inside the castle? Yeah. And it's a bit Scooby-Doo, that, isn't it? Oh, oh book the bookcase. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've got this, uh, uh, yeah, this, this layer. And I like that we go back and forth where they've got the people they've captured who mm. are being captive and their bodies are being used for them to shapeshift and they go off. So you see them, it's, it's really clever actually back in the day to do that. So they've got this this concept of you see the character out in the, interacting with the Doctor and the other cast members. And you know it's a Zygon really because the way that they're acting, they're yeah, acting yeah. very cold and very, very non, just very non-human I guess. Mm. And then it cuts back to those guys and the... It was also cool how they did the ship as well, which I think was absolutely necessary because going back to some of the the ships that we see, like the Dalek fleet ships and the Cybermen stuff, it's all very futuristic sci-fi with lots of blinking lights and switches and levers and everything like that. Yeah. Whereas the Zygon ship is very organic. It's almost like a, it matches their, their, their composition, if you like. So when they're fiddling with all the controls on the dashboard, they just look like wobbly little mushrooms and stuff and Almost looks like a pizza. A pizza, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it does look like a pepperoni pizza, yeah. So that's very cool as well, because they could have gone down that road. Because they, they have done that a couple of times in Classic Coup, where you've got these very non-technical looking aliens or monsters, but they seem to have very advanced technology, and it doesn't... Mm. Sometimes it it's not too much of a problem, but if you delve into it too much, they don't seem to match... It's a bit What's jarring. Going on. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this, yeah. it was completely bang on with the design. It was that was all cool, and also the the way that the the the, the guys who were playing the Zygons were very very were very very cool. So was it John John Woodnut and I think it was who was the other guy uh, Keith Ashley and Ronald Gough 
Ronald Guff, apparently, who were the other Zygons, but they played them really well. They had this very, uh, I don't know, they just had this very, it's kind of obvious, really, but this real alien way of, of playing those characters where the voice obviously helps with that yeah. menacing kind of whispering voice. But even the way that they interacted with people, yeah, they just it was just really cool. I, uh, the more I watched the Zygons, the more I liked them. Mm. which is really cool because the more I watch the Dalek stuff, the more I'm like, oh God, how much <laughs> more can we do of Dalek stories these days? Whereas the Zygons, I'm like, yeah, I'm up for it. If they want to do another one, I'm not necessarily saying they should do a Jody Zygon story, but at some point in the future, I'd be up for another another Zygon story for sure. They're really good monsters, man. Really good. They, they are creepy, aren't they? I mean, if, I, if you think back to the cliffhanger episode one, when Sarah's on the phone, and just that brilliant shot of her turning around and the, the Zygon lurching towards her. And maybe it's the big sort of sucker things on their head. I don't know, but they are like quite cumbersome creatures, but they are scary. There is something, there's something quite hammer horror about that particular shot. And I think it's the, the way it's the small mouth and the, the way it looks and the face and everything. It, it's proper creepy stuff. Um, there's quite a few creepy bits in this actually. I mean, the scene with Harry in the barn, I remember when I first watched this, I would have been, oh gosh, would have been quite young. I, the first time I saw this, I it was on VHS. I bought the video cassette of it. And I I don't know how old I would have been, but quite young, I suppose. And that scene in the barn really frightened me with Harry because of the mm. way it's shot and the fact that he's lurching at Sarah with the pitchfork. The way it's filmed, it's a bit like a horror film. <laughs> Uh, a very tame one, but you know what I mean? For Doctor Who, it's quite near the knuckle. Um, and the way that um, Ian Martyr plays that as well, he looks really evil, um, which is such a contrast to the, you know, the very gentle Harry Sullivan character that we used to see him play. The, the contrast that he managed to do in his performances, I, I mean, that scene really sticks with me. When you say Terror of the Zygons, I think of Zygons, and I think of that that scene in the barn where he's, trying to kill Sarah. There's sort of two bits that stick in my mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite adult in tone, certain bits. I mean, the bit with the nurse as well, she's really creepy. And there's a shot where she's got all this blood down her arm. And I remember again, when I first watched this as a kid, like being like, Oh, blood in doctor who, and not just a quick, not just a fleeting shot either. Oh, they're really showing that bloody arm, you know, and there's lots of bits like that, which are quite adult in tone. Mm. But again, it, it's, I think this is the thing. I think Douglas Canfield is such a good director. He manages to just take, you know, very near the knuckle, but without going too far. Like I think it's never gratuitous. Like some of the violence mm. in the Colin Baker era for me, is just gratuitous. You know, the bit with the Cyberman crushing the hands, it's unnecessary. The, the bit with, um, where there's a bit where a Cyberman gets shot in the head and it's point-blank range. The way it's shot is horrible. Dougie Canfield just manages to just get that line absolutely right in it with the scares and the, the you know, the violence and stuff. So it's, it, is, it is close to knuckle, but it's, it's shot in a, such a brilliant way that it's, it's, it's just got the line right, I think. You know? yeah. But there's a couple of bits in this. I remember as a kid being like, the bit where Harry gets shot, for example, you know, there's that bit, I thought Harry was shot dead was a gunner first, yeah yeah when he gets a bit just he just gets a sort of mark on his head but um yeah there's a couple of bits like that which really st stay with you yeah as a kid but in a good way yeah you know, no, it's thrilling that. rather than disturbing no i read you it's uh we said yeah. it a few times around this particular era of doctor who where 
Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe are sort of steering the ship and they do take their there's a quite a few stories that take their cues from the old hammer horror days mm. they have got that old school oh, kind of horror feel yeah. especially a bit later on like we mentioned with brain of morbius and uh and some of those other stories it does have that horror-esque-ish horror-esque-ish it does have that horror-esque <laughs> feel to it but douglas Campbell, man he's the he, he works really well with those guys as well because I know we didn't do all of Inferno, but the first couple of episodes that he did for Inferno were brilliant, like brilliantly directed those ones. And The Web of Fear, he directed that really good. And then moving forward a little bit, which we'll come on to at some point, which is The Seeds of Doom, which is another one of his. He just has this really good eye for... Really good eye for knowing when to keep things static which we complain about sometimes Mm. (laughs) and also knowing when to just move the camera around a little bit and create a little bit of a bit of momentum and motion you know moving from scene to scene so he's got that wonderful and i think with these type of stories those kind of static camera feels and and pacing and stuff are actually actually work quite well we normally have it when the doctor's talking to the brigadier or the zygons are talking to the doctor on in their layer or there's a particularly important conversation that's happening when we normally have that and then the rest of the time it's the doctor legging away from the Loch Ness monster and it looks quite mm. good or there's the shootout um at the the when the brig shoots one of the zygons and there's all that sort of chaos kicking off around london and all that it just seems to fit it just seems to fit the pace of the story um, Douglas's uh, Dougie, old Dougie's uh, uh, direction because there were some stories where like come on it just feels so static you know just move yeah. the camera just do something whereas do something, yeah yeah whereas Dougie does do that but it it's it's done in the way that complements the script and the story I feel he's a brilliant yeah. director he, he really is. I whenever you know he's whenever you watch a story um, and you see it's directed by him you can tell he almost he almost goes at it as if he's doing a mini film. He really goes for it. Um, apparently, he was very, uh, what's the word? He used to plan things very to precision, basically. So he was a very sort of technical director. And, and uh, he would he got on well with the cast, but he was quite, you know, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Um, but yeah, there is something about his style, which is quite, um, it, it seems to go that extra mile. So like you said, there's a, there's a scene where the Doctor's running away from Loch Ness and it's just him running for a couple of shots. But most directors would just set up the camera, right, Tom, run across this field and then we'll shoot it from this angle. Dougie gets the camera low and for, you get the Doctor jumping over it and the scarf going across the lens and he manages to make a really quite mundane chase sequence. Yeah, quite yeah. exciting, just from the angles he uses of of the doctor running across, you know, the field. Um, but I, I just always think he, he he seems to really put his heart and soul into filming it. It's not to me. I don't think it was just a, to him. It doesn't seem just a job. It doesn't seem like right. Let's see what have we got on the page. You know, he's not a flat director. He really goes for it and um, tries to inject some energy into scenes. I I just yeah, I can't praise Dougie enough. And it's a shame. I think he he died fairly young. I think. But uh, he did a, a few Doctor Who's over the years, and they, they always stand out to me as being so beautifully shot. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, actually, he was 52 when he when he died, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but he did a lot. Yeah, he did Planet of Giants, Crusade, Time Meddler, Web of Fear, you said Invasion, Inferno, 
Seeds of Doom was the last one I think he directed. Mm-hmm. But a brilliant director. Um, I've always wondered, we talked a little bit about the music. There was, so as much as I love Douglas Canfield, I also love um, Dudley Simpson. But the two didn't love each other. They, I don't know what happened, but Douglas would never use Dudley, I don't think. Um, mm. And I don't know if it was something personal between the two of them or if he just didn't like Douglas's style or if he thought he was used too much and he wanted to use a different composer. I don't know the reasons for it, but um, I, I don't think he would ever use Dudley. I think all the stories he uses a different composer. Um, for me, in this one, it, it definitely works. I think it's lovely to have somebody different, as much as I love Dudley's music. Um, yeah. But I always wonder what the beef was there or, or, or what the reason was that Douglas refused to use Dudley. Because um, I think there is a there is a story there, but... I don't know what it is. Maybe one of our listeners knows. So I'll have to search it up. But yeah, he, he never uses Dougie in any story he does. Yeah, um, there, there was... Um, Dudley, I mean. <laughs> Dudley Simpson, yeah. I When you mentioned it before we started recording, I remember thinking, yeah, you're right, there is. I remember reading about it, I think in relation to a different story. Yeah, it was. Yeah, ago. I don't think they got on, but I can't remember what... can't remember why. Yeah, but, uh, but but yeah Jeffrey Burton. Yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey Burden does a lovely score. I don't know if he's done any other Doctor Who. So it's it's not a name I particularly recognise, if you know what I mean. Like when you say Dudley Simpson, it's like, oh, yes, he does, that does loads, doesn't he? But yeah, Jeffrey Bergon. I Jeffrey don't know if Bergen, he did lots yeah. of Doctor Who or I don't know what he did. Um, uh, um, well, he he did he did tons of stuff. Um, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. I'm looking now. Gosh, he done yeah. loads, didn't he? Yeah. But no, I don't know if he did that many Doctor Who. So. Seeds of Doom. And, oh, again, uh, which is a Dougie one. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was it for who we only did those two stories, but he did go on to do quite a few other things. Um, uh, he did the Chronicles of Narnia TV or TV movie things. I think uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, well, he did loads, but in terms of things that I can pick out that I recognize, uh, that was it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Those are the two stories directed by Doug, Douglas Canfield in this, and he's used him for both rather than Dudley Simpson. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he did um, Did Monty Python's Life of Brian. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, and some other yeah it's, just not a name I, it's just not a name I'm that familiar with, that's all. Okay. But it works yeah. very well. It really suits the story, really, really heightens the, the scenes, I think, really nicely, his score. Apart from the bagpipes, which I don't think are down to here, but there's that scene at the beginning where the bagpipes are blaring out until they finally stop. I was like, oh, thank God they've stopped. Such a horrible sound. <laughs> yeah. No, I, re- I remember the first time I watched this, I thought that was a, an audio glitch or a problem. I thought they'd got the, the levels loud. incorrect. Yeah, it's quite loud. Yeah. But then I realised that it's intentional. It's the, the cast members are also peeved at this blaring bagpipes that are coming out. Um, in a way, it's kind of funny because especially the brig, he's kind of got, he's kind of, he's got that face where he's putting up with it. But you could see that if it was going on for a bit longer, he'd probably lose his mind. Because I think he tells one of the other, might be Benton or someone, tells him to go and shut him up or something. But Well, talking uh, of the brig, did you find him a little subdued in this story? Because I, I love the brig. Yeah. So and he is good in it. That. Yeah. What's the reason? There's a reason for that. So uh, Nick Courtney has, has, has said a, in a couple of interviews that he just wasn't happy filming this one. Oh. Was not happy chappy for a couple of reasons. First, because he was just upset and unhappy that this was the likely to be the last time he would play the brig. 
because he knew that with the show's new new kind of format after the third doctor era that it probably wasn't going to work for much longer so he was a bit unhappy and down in the dumps about that but also he was kind of at odds with uh, it was either it was either robert holmes or douglas canfield i can't remember but i think he was at odds with those guys he wanted the brigadier i think when he resolved himself to the fact that this was going to be one of the last stories for the brig he wanted him to be killed off uh, that was his thing. He's like, you, you know, you should kill my character off if you're gonna, if this is gonna be the last time. Then let's make it, make it a belter, mm. and kill him off. Let's do a bit of an emotional thing. And they were like, no, we can't, can't kill off the brig. We just can't do that. So, unfortunately, and I do agree with Nick Courtney on on this one. That what ended up happening was the brigadier just doesn't really do anything. It's just he has his last sort of final smile with the uh with the duke as the tardis is dematerializing at the end and they walk off you see them start to walk off and that's it that's the last scene it's just very uneventful i guess i think nick courtney mm. was looking for a bit of a the bigger send-off a bigger goodbye so because of those two things i think he was just not really feeling not really feeling it and wasn't really on form it's certainly not his best performance as the brig no i mean he's he's still good in it but you're right he's just a little bit subdued compared to I think maybe working he worked better with Pertwee probably as well. They nearly killed him off in Battlefield, didn't they? I think they in Battlefield the original plan was to kill off the brig and then they changed their mind at the last second or whatever. Um so they did nearly kill off the brig again. Um but we don't see him now, I think until Mordred Undead, possibly. I can't remember, which is Fifth Doctor, so yeah, quite yeah. far in the future. But I'll tell you who else wasn't happy. John Levine. <laughs> oh Johnny what was up with Johnny well same thing he he felt like unit were being he, he knew that the you know it was the end of unit basically that unit's time had come and uh, he didn't particularly enjoy working with Tom Baker I think because it, there's a really nice little making of on the DVD actually where you know they talk about all this stuff and John Levine says um they were such a close-knit family you know, uh, John Pertwee, Katie Manning, Roger Delgado, you know, and um, John Levine. That obviously it was so different. Now you'd got Tom Baker, who sort of didn't he didn't sort of really <laughs> inter. You know, that close that family had, had gone. So mm. it was a totally different setup. And uh, John Levine said, you know, he started to feel like Tom was just a totally different personality. I just clearly they didn't didn't really click, and. Um, the irony is, I actually think Benton's really good in this one. <laughs> I actually think John Levine gives a really good performance in this. He's because he's normally just gets one or two lines or one or two scenes, but he gets a bit of action, you know, to do in this one. And I felt like he was giving quite a good performance. But yeah, so looking at him in the interview, he he kind of saw the writing was on the wall, and he didn't really feel any warmth from Tom or the production team. So he he was a bit subdued but it doesn't to me it doesn't show on screen i think to me he's actually still seems like he's really giving it and maybe that's because douglas camfield was directing it because he got on ever so well with douglas camfield they were like really good friends i think douglas helped uh john levine quite a lot with his career um from what i remember so that's probably why but i really thought john levine was quite good in this in terms of his performance considering how unhappy he was behind the scenes uh I thought he was giving quite a good performance. Yeah, I think that's expected, though. I mean, I would—I I don't know if I'd be the same or not, but I think just from a from from a non on a non actor point of view, just as a job, I suppose, 
having a job. It must have been a really awesome job during the Pertwee era, being you know part of the unit team, either as the brig or or Benton. It would have been a really cool thing because we know it's been well documented that John Levine really looked up to Pertwee. Yeah, um, and Pertwee helped him a lot with with his acting and all that stuff. And like you said, it was a close knit family, all that stuff, and. You know, it was all it was all good. So when you fast forward in time a little bit, and you're you're with a a doctor who, I'm not saying that they didn't get on, but maybe it didn't feel quite as close knit as when it was with Pertwee, and then you know that unit's on its way out, and you you're not going to be in the show anymore. You would naturally feel that way. Whereas I feel I feel like John Levine put that to one side a bit more mm. with his performance. Like you said, he doesn't seem to let him. It doesn't seem to be letting it drag him down as much, and he's still being Sergeant Benton. Whereas I think Nick Courtney was a bit more. You could just tell. You could just tell that he just wasn't quite hundred percent. It was affecting him clearly. So mm. the irony yeah. is that, um, yeah, weirdly, where the irony is that John Levine didn't particularly click with Tom Baker, but um, Nicholas Courtney and Tom uh, actually got on quite well. Used to go, I think they used to like going down the pub together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was yeah. a sort of, so there was that cause I don't think John Levine drinks or, or at least he doesn't now. I don't think, but, um, yeah, I can see it from both sides. I'm sure you can too, that, you know, you've got a new doctor, you've got new it, things have changed. It's like doctor who is always evolving, isn't it? It's always changing, trying new things. And to be fair, unit had a good run. I mean, and they totally suited the Pertwee era. They worked brilliantly in that era but you know i think it i can see why they'd want to move on now and try other things and the doctor's going to be going to more planets and so i think it was right to perhaps step away from unit and i'm glad that they still bring them back and they have their moments like they're in android invasion and obviously in the new series this well up until the jody era <laughs> they were still involved and there's still a thing you know but I, I think it was right with the tom's doctor to to move away and, and leave unit behind a bit. And I think Tom was keen to do it. And I think, um, you know, the production team at the time were keen to move away from unit and try new things, but you can see it from unit side. They've, you know, they've been such a big part of Dr. Who to, to feel like they're being, you know, pushed to one side. Now it, you can see it from both sides. Definitely. Yeah. But it's the right choice, you know? And I think Tom, although he works well with unit in this story, I think it's, uh, he, he's a totally different doctor to John Pertwee. He would not have suited having unit round his ankles every story, would he? Just he He's the kind of doctor that just needs to be out there doing his own <laughs> thing. You couldn't have him yeah. saddled with unit like like John Pertwee because it just wouldn't work anywhere near as well. I no. don't think it would, no. I mean, it, it also suited the Pertwee era for the most part because he was grounded anyway. So yeah, it, exactly. He, he had yeah. no choice, did he, but to get involved in what was happening on Earth, which ultimately involved unit anyway so the yeah. two of them combining forces was a natural thing because he couldn't leave whereas tom who has got free reign to go anywhere there's no reason for him to keep to keep coming or staying on earth and doing unit stories so yeah, yeah from a show perspective you can absolutely see why but unfortunately old nick he just wasn't mm. to be fair i don't think he wanted to overtake anything or be or, or overshadow the doctor i think he was just looking more for a a, a a better send-off whereas i think they just wanted to keep the character in their back pocket for later on if they needed to bring him back which is why they didn't kill him off but he was was like no he was like harrison ford with han solo he wanted that character to be killed off numerous times Mm. Mm. and they were like no no we're going to bring him back 
So I think he was, yeah, a little bit bummed out about that. But oh, talking of subdued um, send-offs, I've just it's just occurred to me actually that Ian Martyrs is a very understated. Oh, Ian, uh, yeah. leaving suit. Yeah. Uh, Harry Sullivan, a, a great character. Um, but yeah, his leaving suit it never really occurred to me before. He just sort of says, "No, I think I'll, I think I'll stay behind." I just decides <laughs> a bit like uh, Ryan, isn't it? I, well, I, think say, I'll, yeah. I think I'll yeah. stay with unit mate. I think I'll stay with my mates. Um, but yeah, it's a very um, sort of out of nowhere leaving scene for Harry. But I don't know how Ian Martyr felt about that. I don't don't know anything about the sort of decision for him not to carry on. Again, I think it's nice because you then get the Doctor and Sarah who work brilliantly together. But I really like the character of Harry. I think he's a, a really good character. And this story was going to be, although this kicked off season 13, Originally, it was going to end season 12, wasn't it? It was sort of carried yeah. over mm-hmm. for a few reasons. They decided to actually um, use it to kick off season 13, which I think is a good thing. Cause I, from Although we haven't reviewed Planet of Evil, I don't remember it being anywhere near as strong as this. I think this is a cracking series to, to kick off a new season dot two. But you do feel it could have been at the end of season 12 because Harry leaves, Unit are leaving. It does feel like it's wrapping up. You know, it's sort of got a few things carrying over from the previous season. So it's really from Planet of Evil that we kick off with Tom and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. Or the Doctor and Sarah, I should say. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, Reja, I think uh, we were critical of, of Ryan and Graham's exit <laughs> for the special. Yeah. We were, it was like, oh, what? That is very anticlimactic and nowhere mm. near the um, the big emotional send off that the Chibbers had had hyped it up to be because they literally just said that it's now ah, we're good thanks we're we'll see yeah you later. i think yeah. yeah and now you've got harry doing pretty much the same thing so that's true yeah so we can't we can't be critical of them and not of this so in terms of a, a companion leaving it's very unfortunate that that's just how he leaves because as you said he's a very good companion ian martyr's a great actor and that that scene you mentioned earlier on in the barn where sarah's mm-hmm. trying to find him for me, it wasn't the, it wasn't the bit where he's about to stab her with the pitchfork or anything like that. It was that camera angle where it's looking down on him and he's got this really evil. It's kind of half of oh, him's I in know shadow. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And all you can see is is he's got this really evil look on his face. That creeps me out. So Ian yeah. Martyr, he's a great actor. He can do that stuff, as well as the happy sort of happy, very useful companion Hello, old girl yeah, yeah all that sort of stuff yeah all yeah. that stuff but he can play evil really well it, even though it's a bit of a subdued send-off for him i think it's a good story for harry isn't it you know he gets to be shot and he gets to play this saigon impersonator and it's it's a good one for him to go out on i think he gets some really good scenes in this some really good stuff to work with and he does it brilliantly yeah. absolutely brilliantly actually i think he's superb in it but yeah it just it never really occurred to me about the ending being so subdued before but yeah it kind of works i think it's just because i love that end scene the music and for once the tardis prop looks pretty good oh, it's like i don't know if that's down to Douglas campfield it looks like they've properly set it up and put the light on straight and for once the tardis because it's the pertwee prop which let's face it most of the time looks like it's you could push it over with a finger it looks like it's about to collapse at any minute it's still the old prop you can tell by the door sign and the shape of it but they've managed to make it look chunky and, and it looks really good in that one shot where mm. Tom's uh, walking towards <laughs> it and about to leave. Oh, well, that does remind me. There's a really nice 
um, cut scene on the DVD. So there was a scene, there is a scene of the TARDIS landing, um, which was cut uh, for timing reasons, I think. But you, on the DVD, you do get an option to watch the first episode with that scene reinstated. Mm. And it's a beautiful scene. It's a lovely scene. So the TARDIS lands. And again, it just looks so lovely. I don't know. They've managed to make the prop look so good for once. And um, there's a sort of bit of comedy banter between Sarah, Harry and the Doctor. And he's got his kilt on and the TARDIS is invisible and then they make it visible. It's a lovely little scene. And I'm so glad that um, they've still got it in the archives and that you can watch it on the DVD. So I, I'd probably always watch it with that scene included. I think it's great. They've had to recolor it. So it does slightly stand out compared to the rest of the episode because they've done a great job remastering this. The picture looks great. But I think this particular scene, it, it still looks good. But you can sort of tell there's a few picture flares on it and stuff. So it, it, they've done their best to recolor it or whatever they've done. But yeah, it's a lovely scene. It's a shame it got cut. Yeah, I think it I'm pretty sure yeah. it's for timing reasons. It, it was episode one was probably too long, so they just cut out the TARDIS landing. But yeah, it's well worth watching it with that included if you get a chance. Yes, yeah, and it's only a minute and a bit. I think it's only oh, it's like, really short. Yeah, yeah, but it's worth it though. It is worth. Yeah, it it's just the doctor coming out in a kilt, uh, not in a kilt, in his scarf and stuff, and they're making a joke about it because they, they're like, oh, I wonder where we've landed. And the doctor's like, well, Scotland, obviously. That's why I'm wearing it. <laughs> you know, just a fun little scene. Yeah. And that also explains the doctor's look at the beginning as well, because he's yeah. got the, the tartan stuff and things like that. I, for some reason, I thought he was wearing that more throughout the story than what he was. Me too, actually. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of promote the story with any kind of like the deep, like the, the original DVD releases and VHS and stuff and the target book. Uh, no, not the Target book, but the DVDs and the, mm. the VHS. They they picture him in that Scottish outfit, and for some reason, I thought, yeah, it's he's rocking around in that for a bit longer. But he's not. He changes pretty quick, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I must admit, I'm exactly the same. I always think he's in that like the whole story, but he's not at all, is he? But um, Harry's rocking the Fourth Doctor scarf, isn't he? While he's wearing that, and they're walking towards the pub, Harry's got the multicolored scarf on it really suits him he looks looks really cool in the doctor's scarf because he's got his sort of smart suit underneath <laughs> it just is such a contrast yeah i love harry i think he's a great character yeah uh let's talk about liz sladen quickly then because she's mm. uh she's fairly cool in this yes as always yeah she's great in this yes and there was um a couple of scenes that i thought she was very good in uh the first one was when she's chasing after harry you know when she realizes that Oh, Harry's here. Where'd you go from? And he just he just turns up and swipes that thing and then does the other. Oh yeah. And then she chases after him. She's pretty she's she's pretty cool at that stuff, really. Which sets her apart from some parts of other companions where some female companions were very much I'm just gonna scream a lot mm. and I'm just gonna run around after the doctor, which was, you know, a bit unfortunate, but that was you know, old days, very old days writing for that type of character, I suppose. But Sarah Jane, this is the thing. These are the things that separate her from that older, typical type of female companion where she's very take charge. She's like, Harry's turned up. Now he's legged it. I'm not just going to let it go. I'm going to run after him. Then she goes off and she grabs unit. She's like, right, follow me. And then she goes yeah. off and she's just fearless with that stuff. It's very cool. She is. And also the scene when she goes to see the Duke or whatever, and she's in the, she discovers the hidden doorway in the bookcase and oh, she's yeah. straight in there right now what's yeah. going on here then she doesn't sort of worry about yeah i mean she's she is such a strong character there's a there's a lovely scene isn't there when um 
she just after the Zygons locked her in that room and the doctor gets locked in with her and he does that weird he sort of hypnotizes her to to stop breathing that's a really odd scene but a really good scene isn't it where the doctor does that weird oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and he says something about i don't know what it is something about a tibetan monk or something isn't it he learned it from a tibetan monk yeah yeah, yeah, but that's it. I like that. I really like that. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna say. My that's the second scene that she was really good in was when he's hypnotizing her and she has to really focus and concentrate. And but you can see that she's the the thing that was cool for me was that she was genuinely scared. It looked like yeah uh, when they got locked in there. What I liked so as cool. well it says says in the production notes that they the cast the, the script was a little bit it needed a bit of tweaking the script apparently. Um, so the cast were allowed. So Douglas Canfield said, look, I'm going to put you into groups. Just go down the pub and any bits of the script you think aren't working. I just want you to just put some ideas down and let's try and iron out a few kinks. And, uh, and I love that. So there's quite a few bits where the cast have just put in their own input to tweak just a few bits. And that scene was one of them. So in the script, uh, there was none of that. The doctor hypnotizing the, sarah to hold her breath and all that what actually happened in the script was the doctor uses sonic to burn a hole in the window to let some air in and they said oh that's a bit boring using the sonic <laughs> if only they did that now uh, but you know <laughs> so they said oh, let's let's why don't we have it that the doctor's got this thing that he can use and he he's not sure if it's going to work but it does and you know so it's so much more interesting it is. um yeah. what was the other scene they changed uh, there was another scene later on where they Again, just slightly tweaked it. It was quite bland on the page, and they, you know, they they, they thought up something between them that was more interesting. I, I thought I'd written it down, but I can't remember what it was. But I like that. I like the fact that the the whole cast were involved to try and make this as as good as it could possibly be. Yes, no, I agree. That's oh, a I really think good actually, thing. yeah. Sorry, go on. No, that's a, just a really great way of getting input from your actors early on, rather than we've heard about stories where Tom's exploded on set because he feels like that th this line just doesn't suit his doctor. So if you can get their buy-in and involvement early, then it's just another cool thing that, that Dougie did, I suppose. Yeah, no, I saw, I just suddenly remembered what the scene was and actually it does involve Tom and it wasn't so much that he thought the scene didn't work. <laughs> so there was, when he's being chased by the Zygon, I think originally he was supposed to be in a boat and the way he got away from, so he was trying to row away <laughs> from the from the Loch Ness monster and the way he escaped from it was to turn the boat over and, and submerge himself in the water and Tom wasn't very keen to do that so he suggested it was just a chase across the moors uh, so right. maybe not doing it because it didn't wasn't going to work so much but the fact he didn't want to get dunked in, the, in a cold <laughs> <laughs> so there were little bits like that that got changed as they were doing it but yeah that's another thing I love you know just the more I find out about Douglas Canfield the more I just I'm so intrigued by him as a person and a director. Just, um, and I think there's an, a documentary on the DVD which I didn't get time to watch. But yeah, just I love the fact he did that. That he said to them that you know, good script here, guys, but you know it's been a bit rushed or whatever. Go away in your little groups. Let's let's make something of this. I just love the fact that they did that. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine good. Tom down the pub. I'm <laughs> I'm not going in the I'm not going in the lakes in the balls. Sod that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool actually, and it's. That's when you talk about the actual location of Loch Ness and Tom rowing in the river or the water, or whatever. That's uh, kind of cool that the location stuff was very good because mm. you kind of get swept up in the concept of it being set in Loch Ness in Scotland. 
because it was it was filmed down in West Sussex, all of it, wasn't it? Down That's at right, yeah. Down Sherman, South Downs and all that stuff. But you just don't even think of it. You just take it for granted. Oh, okay, they must be in Scotland doing location. I think the only thing that gives it away is the fact that there aren't any wide shots of Loch Ness or anything like that. So that's mm. probably that's probably the only sort of telltale thing that would make you think, oh, are they? they're not really up in Scotland. But other than that, it was all good. And before we get I, on to I Tom... Have known. Sorry, yeah. I would never have known it wasn't Scotland, to no, be honest. No, I thought it was. Yeah. Before we get on to Tom, actually, because he is very cool in it, the Loch Ness Monster itself and, yeah. uh, and the, the thing. So normally... And I know it comes under, it does get a lot of flack for obvious reasons when you think about the execution of this. <laughs> it's essentially a hand puppet, right? With um, Pretty much, yeah. You know, it's been superimposed into the shot and stuff like that. Now, in a way, it's very difficult to criticise that, you know, because the rest of the story is so strong mm. and everything else is so good about it. It almost... It all it almost gives it a free pass, this one. Because in my opinion, this was the right way to do it. Because the Loch Ness Monster, although it was a, a key part of the story, because it's the it's being controlled by the Zygons and they've they've made it tear down the oil rig and they've made it go after the doctor and this little transmitter thing. It's they're the driving force behind it. So although it's a key part of it, it's I like the priorities of the film of the of of just television making in this in this priority order. It's like let's get the core part of the story right. Let's get our main villain, our main aliens looking really good and the performance is really good. Let's get all of that stuff done really well and let's just use whatever we've got left on the Loch Ness monster. If I think if they'd done it the other way round, spent tons of money trying to make the the monster look good and all that stuff, I think other parts of the story would have suffered. Mm, maybe, yeah. So I'm kind of glad that they just did it. Because let's... It's just a, a, a classic sci-fi show with no budget when you boil everything down, right? So I'm kind of glad they did everything else. All the location stuff is as it needed to be. The Zygon outfits and all that stuff was how it needed to be and and all that stuff. So, yeah, I I, I don't hate it. But I know that a lot of people do have a problem with it. In my opinion, I think it's better than the bloody Drashigs, if I'm being well, honest. Well, I, I was surprised you, I was going to say, I'm surprised you're giving this a free pass because it reminds me of the Drashigs mm -hmm. in a way. Um, so I'm surprised to hear you say that. I think for me, it, it doesn't bother me too much. I, It's just that the last episode, it's the, the story has been so good up until the last episode. And the, the last episode is good. Um, but in terms of production, it's, it's more the fact that the last 10 minutes, it really feels like the money's run out. So it's not just the Loch Ness Monster, but the set that Tom... So Tom goes out on this balcony and it's really, really poor. Um, it just feels like the, the, the other sets are so good. Like the pub, the interior of the pub set is great. Um, the Zygon spaceship is like so strange and looks brilliant and... You know, even the Duke's Castle is a, is a great set, and it's only on screen for a couple of minutes. And then you get to the end bit, sort of like the climax of the episode, and Tom comes out on this really brightly overlit balcony with the grey grey walls that look like they've been painted in like 
you know, I don't know. It just feels <laughs> to me like what happened at the end of this episode. Like the, it's not just the monster looks bad. The set, the set looks awful, and the lighting's really bad. And I don't. It, it's surprising. I, I, I don't know if we can blame Dougie because he's he's so good and so meticulous. I don't know, but for me, it's the whole sort of last ten minutes. The production just seems to lose it. So, and then it and then it picks it straight back up with the you know the beautiful scene with the TARDIS leaving at the end, but. That's really the only sort of negative I have. Really, is the set and the and the and the Loch Ness monster, which is a yeah. sort of stop animation. Well, it's a mix, isn't it? Stop animation and then a hand puppet. I think it's yes. a mix of the yep. two. Um, but that's really my only sort of criticism up to that point. Because the rest of the model work, I think, is really good for the time. Like the oil rig oh, looks yeah. pretty yeah. good when it's all um, being crushed and whatever. Um, the spaceship looks great when it blows up and we get a nice shot of them jumping out of it, which is obviously you can tell it's just been held close to the camera to make it look big, but it, it works and the model itself looks good. And when it's flying off, it looks fairly decent. And when it blows up, it's a good model shot. So most of the model shots in this are, are really good, I think. So yeah. yeah, yeah, I can only really criticize the last sort of five minutes maybe, and it's more down to the set and the lighting. Uh, it just feels like maybe they were a bit pushed for time on that last bit. I don't know. Well, that's probably it, mate. That, it probably is. You're probably yeah. right. It's a case of they're. It's like the very last bit of the um, of the of the, that part, the, that fourth part. So time isn't a luxury, and money isn't a luxury anymore because they've. They've built all the sets by that point. <laughs> They've done all the makeup yeah. and all the effects and stuff like that. So, yeah, that last bit is probably just we've got to just work with what we've got. <laughs> I'm not even you sure know. if Tom's looking in the right direction. So when he throws the thing, it just seems a little <laughs> bit like they didn't quite get that bit, that sort of last production bit right. I don't know. It just It probably was time, though. They probably yeah, just were yeah. a bit pushed for time because Dougie is so good. I can't think any other reason for it yeah. so you were going to say about tom he is great in this isn't he he's um you know as i said kicking off his second season as the doctor he pretty much hit the ground running as the doctor anyway didn't he he's, he's was great from the get-go but yeah he's he brilliant in this isn't he he is yeah and he his performance is slightly slightly different to what we saw in series 12 in that he seems to have a bit more of a balance between the serious stuff and the you know when he's got that really big sort of cheeky grin and smile on his face that he does sometimes yeah. and those funny little one-liners. It feels like the writing for him and just the way he, his performances from this series onwards, it feels a bit more balanced to me. Like there were some stories beforehand where um, there was a, a big portion of the story where he was very crotchety mm. and very grumpy, like uh, the Ark in Space. He was just very sort of not just quite grumpy in some of Especially it. Especially with Harry. Yeah, he exactly, was quite snappy. Yeah. 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 And then in in obviously Genesis of the Daleks, there was a bit, there was a couple of episodes where all the way through pretty much he's very, he's very snappy and quite dry. Whereas from this point on, I, I feel like they, mo, most of the stories anyway, seem to have a, a good mix of him being either angry or worried about something mixed in with those funny little grins that he does and yeah the know, wide moments, eyes yeah. and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. so yeah. He, he's always been great don't get me wrong but i think from this point onwards that he just seems to and even philich uh philich even philich even philip hinchcliffe said that 
this point onwards was where he felt that Tom Baker finally starts to get his performance like bang on, like spot on. Yeah. 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 But he is great though, no doubt about it. He's um he is great in this. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I've always thought that and it's you don't really notice it until you go back and sort of watch early Tom. I mean, there is definitely he does hit the ground running. He's great from mm. the get go, but there is his doctor definitely changes and evolves over. I mean, he was the doctor for quite a long time, wasn't he? Especially by the time you get to season 18, he's very subdued in that a totally different doctor from season 12. But um, yeah, I think this is, I think season 13 probably is like peak Baker who, in terms mm-hmm. of stories and his performance and him and Sarah are so great together. And it's, this is the series I really want to see released on Blu-ray. This is the season I really, really want um, Definitely. even though I've got yeah. them all, <laughs> but, uh, I really, this is such a good season, like you said. And, um, and there is, there is a nice couple of little extras on the DVD mm-hmm. as well, which I'm sure they'll include. There's a great interview with Tom. He's, uh, quite, um, honest in it. It's one of those when he's being, it's more serious Tom interview than you sometimes get. He seems quite, uh, fiery mm-hmm. in, in yeah. certain parts. He's talking about, um, there's a bit where he talks about, having to talk to, you know, pe- people in the production would bring their kids in and he'd have to, in between filming and he'd have to sort of talk to them and then go back into filming. And he's quite, yeah, he's quite honest in that interview and stuff. And there's also a nice interview with Liz Sladen on there as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good little extras on this, this uh, DVD. Well worth watching. Yeah. So looking forward to them all coming together on one nice Blu-ray set. That'd be lovely. Yes, indeed. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, series thirteen's just got. Uh, oh, it's a belter. It's isn't a very, it? very good series. Yeah. Uh, anyway, back to uh, Terra Zygons. Did you have anything else on your notes? Because I'm. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, other than a couple of the supporting characters, I thought were quite cool. The guy that runs the pub. <laughs> the uh, guy was a second sight. Yeah, Angus. Is it Angus? Angus. Yeah. Yeah, he was quite cool. The son um, of a son of a son, or whatever he says. Yeah, and uh, John Woodnut, who played. The Duke of Forgill, with a kind of Scottish accent, I suppose. Well, yeah. In some scenes, he was a he was not he wasn't too bad, but I I appreciated his more sinister look rather than his accent. He's pretty good at that. He's quite a scary looking guy. Yeah. I think he. Do you remember that weird boy from space TV show? I think he was the the, the scary alien dad in it. I've, I've I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Do you? I I know the show, but I don't. I can't picture him though. It might be him. I'm sure yeah. it's because I, that his that scene of stayed with me forever as a kid of him coming over the the hill as this creepy alien dad in a in a Mac because he's just got a scary face that guy. Sorry to the actor, but <laughs> you've just got one of those faces that he does look a bit alien. Yeah, he he was all right, accent a bit dodgy, um, but he was he was good. Yeah, good casting yes. for an alien Zygon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was in the boy. Yeah, it was him in the boy from space. Yeah. Do you remember that thing or not? Because it's a bit. It, you'll have to be of a certain age to know what I'm talking about. Hopefully, a couple of listeners out there know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know of it. It was not. It was quite. It was a few years before I was born, but I remember oh, seeing it? it on TV. They still played it on TV though when I was young. So I was going to say we were we were made to watch it at school. I don't know. It's not an educational program. I don't think. No, it is. It's an. Ed- yeah, it's a proper. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he played the thin spaceman. Yeah. He's very creepy in it. I. Probably nobody knows what I'm on about, but if anybody ever gets to see that, you'll see exactly what I mean. He's properly weird, creepy mm-hmm. in it. <laughs> no, he is. No, I, I can't. I can't picture his face, 
but I can I remember the character. Well, they don't yeah. talk. They make this weird noise, which makes them even more creepy. <laughs> they got weird. It was a weird program, but a good program. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can see why they chose him. Is what I'm trying to get to. I can see why they chose him as yes. as that for this part. It does suit it. Yes. Yeah. Okay, dokie. Then uh, have you got anything on your notes? Dude. No, no, I'm no. all done. I'm You're all done. done. Right. Scores time then. Time for scores. I think it's you to go first. Yeah, I'll week. give it a very strong 8.5. Um, I was close to a 9 because I do think it's a great story. Um, should I give it a 9? <laughs> it is one of my favourite Toms, actually. I am going to give it a 9. I think it's, I'm going to give it a 9. I think it was great. I'm only really knocking off points for the as I said, the Scarrison looking a bit dodge um, and the set, mm -hmm. the end set being overlit and looking really shoddily cheap in such an otherwise brilliant production. So okay. I'll give it a nine. I think it's a great story. Oh, cool. Okay. I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. An eight. Yes. I've knocked, um, even though I said it gets a free pass, I've got to knock a point off for the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. However, whichever way you spin it, that is the weakest part of the story. Not the concept, but the way it was executed. And I'm also knocking a point off because I feel, especially as we get through further through series 12 and 13 and so on, there are better stories than this that I would give a higher score. So although it is a very good story, I really like this one. And I haven't seen it in age. I don't know why. And I think that's a good thing because if I was to watch it more regularly, the Zygons would lose their appeal a little bit. So I'm glad that I don't reach for it often, but... It is a very, very good story. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to stick with what I originally wrote and give it an eight point five. <laughs> that is what I wrote on the pad, and also because I just remembered the subdued, um, and exit for Harry has to and for Nick Courtney as well. And for Nick Courtney, yeah. so it's an eight point five, but it is very good. It is yeah. good. It just is not good. quite a nine, I suppose. Yeah, that's cool. Okie okay, dokie, what did our listeners think? We had a few audio reviews in, as always. Thank you very Ooh, much, yes. guys. We're going to kick off with Mr. Simon Hodgson. Hi guys, here is my thoughts on the Series 13 classic, The Terror of the Zygons. And what a classic it is. A great script and performances from all involved. Uh, the highlights for me are um, John Woodnut as the character of Broton in general. With the Doctor's classic line of, you can't rule the world in hiding, you've got to come out onto the balcony sometimes and wave a tentacle, which I think is just genius. Uh, low lights for me have to be the lack of a decent farewell or parting scene for Harry and also the Scarrison which wasn't really re realised as well on screen although at the time it may have been sort of groundbreaking I wonder if this had been made today the effects would have been amazing I feel uh, perhaps this may be cleared up on a future series 13 Blu-ray eventually as an optional extra but anyways it isn't, doesn't affect it so much as to ruin it for me overall and as a result, I'd give this a solid 8 out of 10. Cheers. Another 8. An 8. That's a good shout, isn't it? They could. That would be brilliant if they enhanced it for the Blu-ray release. I think like they've done with Terror of the Autons on the forthcoming Season 8, they've just tweaked the scary mm. doll to make it look better. That would be brilliant if they could do that with Scarrison. That would be cool, yeah. Mm. So not to replace it and have it look out of place, but if they just tweaked it a little tweaked bit. Tweaked it. Yeah, that would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, Simon. Um, hopefully we will get it as a Blu-ray release at some point. Well, I'm sure we will, but who knows when. But thank you very much for your review. Moving on, this is Mr. TARDISNet66. Terror of the Zygons. 
It's a good and very strong story, although personally I don't think it's quite as good as it's given credit for. I think the Zygons fantastic with their sinister voices, a brilliant design, and I like the idea of them hiding on Earth for centuries, and with Doctor Who doing its own science fiction twist on the Loch Ness Monster. And I think Broton scenes with the fourth Doctor are great. But I think what lets it down is the pacing. There's just not enough content and intrigue in the first two episodes. I think Harry is very underused in his last story as a companion. And although I was hardly expecting a big and epic goodbye, I wish Harry had some kind of an exit from the series given other companion departures in Classic Who. I think it's a good story, I just don't think it's quite as good as other stories like Genesis of the Daleks or The Brave Morbius. Yeah, it's a good shout. Mm. Yeah, no, no, yeah. make some good points there. I, I do know what you're saying. Yeah, I can't say 100% agree with the content. I thought the content was pretty much there throughout the story. But I mm. do agree with you about Harry, though. I do yeah. feel that he, a bit like the Brig in certain respects, if those guys are going to be exit in the show and they've been quite a big part of the show then maybe they could have had a bit more of a bit more of a fanfare or something i'm not sure but does harry pop up in android evasion or not he does yes i thought he did but it's brief isn't it very brief yeah 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 but yeah yeah agree with you for the most part uh tyler thank you very much for review as always moving on this is sammy from dan under Gary and Adam Semi-Satine here. So, Terror of the Zygons. I love this story. The Zygons are great. The fact this story made such an impact on David Tennant that Stephen Moffat brought them back is great. What a great idea. The Loch Ness Monster is actually an alien called the Garrison. It's always great to see the Brigadier. Even better, in a kilt. I'm disappointed Kate hasn't won one yet character can we please have a figure of the brigadier in a kilt i would buy it nice to see sergeant benton i met john levine nice chap anyway i give it 10 scarrisons out of 10 see ya 10 10 scarrisons sammy's loving it crikey 10 out of 10 sammy loving that one and yeah i forgot to mention the old brig rocking brig a, kilt. a kilt yeah Lethbridge Stewart, yeah. It was really funny as well when the doctor points at it. He's like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Bit of mockery. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, thank you very much, Sammy. You're 10. Crikey. Next up is Mr. Martin Arnold. There's a Zygon loose about the Seuss with a suspicious looking moose. Ah, lovely stuff. I love this episode. I think the Zygon costume is, is really, really good. Um, I don't know why they were never brought back again. I think they must have spent a lot of money on that costume. You might as well get your money's worth. Um, the guy who plays the, the Zygon leader is, is great. His line at the end is hilarious. Um, sad to see this is the last true appearance of the Brig and Sergeant Benton as the active sort of unit detail. Um, obviously, you won't see him again until Mordred Undead, which always makes me a little bit sad because uh, his, his appearance in that is a little bit, little bit wistful. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a great episode, a great start to have the best season of Doctor Who. I will, I will cosmically duel anyone with a brain of Morbius mind thing um, who disagrees with me. Uh, uh, you know, and I love the way it's set up, where they, they go off in the TARDIS and they're, they're, they're trying to get back to London, but inevitably the Doctor leads them all over the place and they have great adventures, well they, him and Sarah. 
um, Harry chooses to leave at this point, which is a little sad, but you know, it's great when companions don't outstay their welcome. And um, as much as I enjoy Harry, Sarah and the Doctor go on to have a great series of adventures, and this is the start. So well done, cheers, 9 out of 10, take care, stay safe. It's hard to disagree with you there, buddy. Yep, this series and the start of this series is very, very good. Arguably Tom's best. So yeah, a 9 out of 10 for Martin, thank you very much. Uh, moving on, this is Neil Cam. Hi guys, what's the crack? Terror of the Zygons, what can I say? I love this story. I loved it as a kid. I still love it now. And it's a story that in my eyes really does stand up to the test of time. It's a really good plot. It's haunting, terrifying, creepy, but fast paced at the same time. And you're always left wanting more. I think the Zygons were an excellent monster and it was great that they got brought back. Um, in 2013 for the day of the Doctor and obviously then the Zygon Invasion and Inversion a couple of years later. Uh, Tom Baker is really hitting a stride as the Doctor. Um, I love the themes in the background, the Scottish themes, you know, it really did make you feel like you're in Scotland, even though it wasn't actually recorded there. There's one in particular called A Landed in Scotland, which is on the Doctor Who 50th Anniversary soundtrack collection. It's really cool and it makes me reminisce about this story quite a lot. But yeah, like, the cast in general and the sport cast as well was really, really good. And I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10. Outstanding. Thanks. Another high score. Another high score. Yes. Yes. It, do, it does definitely convince us, Scotland. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, it does. That's what I said earlier. It's, it does a very, very good job of making you feel like you're up there around Loch Ness and Ireland and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, but a 9.5. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much, Neil. And lastly, this is Mr. Joe Turner. Overall, I found Terror of the Zygons very average. I loved the setting of Scotland, and it was beautiful, but that was soon contrasted by some very bleak scenes involving a sniper nearly killing Harry and a nurse clobbering a unit soldier with a stone. I love how they addressed the myth of the Loch Ness Monster, giving it a great Doctor Who spin, but the creature didn't look particularly great even for the time. The Zygons were actually quite weak throughout, although I love how they can shapeshift, but after a while it was so predictable who was and wasn't a Zygon. One way in which they were weak was them failing to realise the Doctor wasn't dead, resulting in Unit being able to track the ship, and also falling for the Doctor's trap when he trapped two of the Zygons in the ship and pressed the self-destruct and the ship blew up. I wish we got more scenes of Unit and Zygons in the forest, as even though the Zygon was on the run, I just felt something good about a Zygon in the forest. Harry was great in the episode and was given a chance to be separated from the Doctor and held his own well. The brig was great, but being his typical self and resulting to conflict every time, with the Doctor even saying, was that a big enough bang, Brigadier? And Harry's final scene in Heat was a little anticlimactic and I wanted more. So overall, I give this episode a 6 out of 10. Okay, okay. A 6. Yeah. Um, so, I think, yeah, so Joe, fairly middle of the road. I think, yeah, there was... I mean, that's the thing that there's always potential, isn't there? To want more scenes between the Doctor and monsters and whatever. Mm. But I get what you're saying now, yeah. It's, um, maybe it should have been a six-parter, Joe. Mm. Probably not, but... Probably not. Yeah. There, is, there is one thing that was strange, is the fact that the... So, you know, they've got the, the bug is the eyeball of the, the deer head oh, yeah. in the pub. <laughs> I was wondering why they were so worried about getting it back. Like... Oh, what yeah. does it what does it matter if they find the bug he's like quick go and get it they found it go and get that bug what yeah. what are they worried about what say what well they've, they've been rumbled haven't they yeah but that's the only way if they found the bug they're just going to take it and go oh, here it is 
Yeah, Why do they need it back? Is it expensive? Like we bought that from Argos. Go and get that. <laughs> <laughs> We're outside of the thirty-day money-back guarantee, yeah. so we have to. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. It's never occurred to me before. It's only when we watching it yesterday. I was thinking, why are they so worried about that bug? Yeah, don't know, man. <laughs> Go and get it quick. <laughs> it was quite comical, though. You didn't realise because in the scenes before that, it was just obviously stationary, didn't move, and then yeah. that one scene where he's looking for the bug. You see it move around, move around the following. <laughs> imagine if it. Imagine if the Zygon. It, it, it wasn't worried about the bug itself. It was the expensive deer head that he was like, <laughs> "See, comes back. I've got it. I've got the bug. No, you fool! Not the eye. I want the whole thing. I paid a fortune for that deer head." <laughs> they missed a the trick it's there. Hanging in the Zygon bathroom. Yeah, the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, guys, for all of your audio reviews. It's uh, the really very cool to, uh, to time at your day to do that uh, i think mostly uh, decent scores there yeah mostly yeah. the average brought up by sammy's 10 out of 10 yes <laughs> and the 9.5 uh, over on twitter we had a few there rick moran from the dwass says tremendous story which opens one of the best seasons of the show's history in superb style mm. it's a gorgeous looking episode the zygons and the sets look awesome the story is exciting thrilling fun and humorous the acting is wonderful with tom liz nick uh, Ian Marta and John Levine, all terrific as usual. It is sad that Unit would be phased out from this point. The guest performances from John Woodnut and Lilius Walker, are especially good. A true classic in every sense. A ten out of ten. Ten, right? One of our writers, Jordan Shortman, says brilliant story. The acting from all involved is great, and as a last proper Unit story for many years, it's a terrific send off. There's some genuinely creepy bits here too, which help kick the series off. And the Zygons look great. Easily one of the best Baker stories. Nice. Cheers, Jordan. Lily May says, I've been watching this recently on episode three tomorrow. Really fab and so many good guest stars. I love Lilius Walker in particular, as she's just so unnerving and creepy. Zygon Harry trying to murder Sarah with a pitchfork is terrifying. Do you come here often? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chippy T says, I love stories which mix who with earthly historical and or legend ideas, such as the Romans, the Aztecs, etc. Even Robin Hood. Uh, it's a belter and uh, four episodes it's just right for me the only for me only the ice warriors beat zygons as the best creature an 8.5 nice cool cool lost on gallifrey podcast those guys say a story that is rightly acclaimed and always lives up to the hype the zygons are such beautiful looking monsters so much so that tenant will end up kissing one <laughs> and also mm. so frightening here baker is so doctory it's untrue Sladen is fantastic so is the kilted brig a 9.5 nice i just started listening to those guys by the way great great podcast it is good pop yeah it's very good yeah uh, tom titan sci-fi says great story with a brilliant monster sad to see harry go 7.5 dan pin says great story definitely in my top 10 of who stories the zygons are a great design and have a really well-rounded out backstory tom baker is at the top of his game love the tardis team the score is creepy and adds uh, fantastically to the tone of the story. It very much does, Dan. Yes, agree mm, with you there. Yes. Uh, it goes on to say, does anyone else think it's a bit weird that Broton, warlord of the Zygons, stops to pick up three hitchhikers? Oh, yeah. At the beginning, <laughs> I, really I suppose. Thought about yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought about that, yeah. Trying <laughs> to blend in, I suppose. Yeah. That's right. 9.5 from Dan, though. Another right. high score, crikey. Uh, Hendrix Chaplin says, this wouldn't be in my top 10 
fourth Doctor stories, but it's still a great story. Wow. And what better way to start Tom's best season? The Zygons are fantastically good alien villains. The story is exciting, thrilling, fun, and humorous. I wanted Harry to stay longer. Yeah. Denise Warner says, love this story. One of my faves from Tom's era, Harry and Sarah Jane, Zygons, and the Loch Ness Monster. Classic. And can't forget the Brigadier and Unit. A brilliant 10 out of 10. 10. Nice. Sarah Louise, the running Whovian, says, An enjoyable story, packed with adventure. Tom's Doctor was his usual standout self. Love Sarah Jane's confidence, and the Brigadier wearing his clan colours was a nice touch. The Zygons look great, Nessie less so. The plot was predictable in parts, but still very exciting. 8 out of 10. Nice. Cheers, Sarah. Uh, last few now let's have a look a man of film oh a good friend Adam Adam Amoon Terra is a very solid opener to series 13 the Zygons are subtle creepy and a brilliant adversary for this story cast are on point particularly Angus <laughs> great direction from Douglas Campbell too 8 out of 10 happy birthday Tom Baker nice cheers Ad Neela's C very short and sweet an absolute classic mm-hmm. clapping hands emoji Joel says it's a testament to the story that the Zygons managed to stick in the minds of viewers in the 70s. The story is full of atmosphere and the production values for the most part are good. Zygons are instantly iconic and it's also great to hark back to the Pertwee era. Nine out of ten. Cool. And lastly on Twitter, Morgan, a good friend Morgan, says a sublime story with hammer horror vibes. All the cast are superb, but Tom especially is on top form. And the Zygons are absolutely terrifying. Pure chills. I loved how the Loch Ness Monster was incorporated. Sad to see Harry leave. Nine opera singing Tom Bakers out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) And we had a few over on Facebook. We had Patrick Bogard, who says, this was the first non-Dalek story I watched when BBC Two used to run Thunderbirds, The Man from Uncle, and then Doctor Who. I remember the Zygon reveal with Sarah Jane scared the bejesus out of me. This story Mm. still holds up vintage Tom Baker, a ten out of ten. Ten. Aaron Ball. Hello there. Hope you're both well. I love this story. The Zygons are scary. A tad slow, but it works in the story's favour. The cliffhanger for part one is brilliant. Also, the story really has guts. Really hard hitting. I'd give it nine Zygons out of ten. Cool. My good friend Nick Gill says, brilliant story. Even if some of the monster effects are a little dated now. Nice and eerie in places. Superb turns by Angus Lenny as the landlord and John Woodnut as the Duke slash Broton. Indeedy. Charlie Turner. Best Zygon story in the show's history. Why they were not brought back on screen until 2013's Day of the Doctor. Oh well, still though, best Zygon story ever. And at this moment, from the big rubbery red things covered in suckers, that's a, that are surprisingly good kisses. Nine <laughs> out of ten. Apparently they are. Joseph yeah. Howarth, one of my faves from the fourth Doctor. The Zygons are terrific. They're a terrific creation who are sadly underused in the entire series. We need appearances from them in the new series, methinks. Anyways, the only bad thing about this story was definitely the Scarrison. Seriously, Scarison. the Scarrison mm. looks like a derpy dinosaur with a dead expression on its face. Yeah, we know about old derpy, unfortunately. <laughs> it goes on to give it a 9 out of 10. Toby Coleman, I can't think of many negatives in regards to this one. Maybe Nessie looks a bit dated, but all in all, really good. It's a really good story of creepy atmosphere, 8 out of 10. And lastly, Aaron Lamb. Uh, it's become one of my favourite Fourth Doctor stories. I find it highly rewatchable. Robert Blank Stewart wrote a strong script, lots of engaging scenes that draw you in, like the landlord discussing disappearances in Tolok Moor through the mm. ages. The cast were on top form, really enjoy the TARDIS team, and the guest cast were particularly memorable. An 8.5. Cool. 
So, dude, I think our listeners are pretty much, we're all on the same page, I would say. It's pretty positive. Yeah, pretty some, good stuff. I thought yeah. it would be. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah. Some good scores there. Very good. So, thank you so much, everybody, for sending in your thoughts and reviews. It's very cool. And I figured out why you think, why you thought it was a Leela story. Oh, why? Yeah. So, Big Finish put out a story a few years ago called Zygon Hunt, which is a fourth Doctor and Leela story with Louise Jameson and Tom Baker. You probably saw the cover for that and listened to it and thought, yeah, this is a potentially a Leela one. I was going to say, actually, Zygons lend themselves really well to Big Finish with those creepy voices, don't they? Yes, no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that dude. It was um, Planet of Evil. I was getting confused with a Leela story. Oh, sorry. Right. I think because there's a forest or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zygon Hunt's not bad, though. Yeah, yeah. From what I, re- I haven't listened to that for years, but so, yeah, I, was, I remember yeah. liking that one. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Old Big Finish, Big old Big Biggers. Finish. Yep. And next week, dude, we're back to Torchwood. What is it? Indeed, yeah. An episode called Reset. Reset, reset. as in reset the show. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even remember the trailer for it. I can't. Well, I can't no. no. Anyway, yeah, Reset. Whatever that is. God, I've seen it in so long. Yeah. I fire it. Oh, it's Martha Jones, right? Oh, right, yes. I think it. so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I haven't seen that in ages. Cool. Martha, yeah. Yes, cool. All right. Well, a bit of Torchwood for next week. So uh, but until then, though, let's wrap up, dude, for 296. All righty. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode of the Big Blue Box Podcast. It's been great to have you all here. Those of you that have just jumped on board, uh, welcome. Those of you that are coming back to the old Grizzle Ancients, it's good to have you here as well. And thank you so much to all of you that have sent in your thoughts and reviews for Terror of the Zygons. It's been great to hear what all of you think. It's the best part of the show for us. Next week, as Adam said, we're back to Torchwood and it is the episode Reset. So get your Blu-rays or DVDs fired up for that and i think torchwood is still on iplayer at the moment i think so anyway so get that uh, fired up as well because we'll be asking for your thoughts and reviews as always for that next week for 297 let's hope we have a bit of news to talk through we might have some doctor who news who knows (laughs) but until then make sure you subscribe to our podcast just do that on whatever podcast app you get your your podcast on just do a search of the big blue box podcast you'll find us on there we'd love to have you as a subscriber that way you won't miss a show when it lands every friday Uh, or you can just uh, head over to the website bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk all of our episodes on there plus there are links off to those various apps and so on and uh, we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook do a search or link off from the website we chat Doctor Who throughout the week, so come and get involved there. And we have a free Discord server as well. There's a link to that on the website. Come and hang out with other Doctor Who fans and chat. Lots of different things to do with Doctor Who. So yes, come and do that. Also, come and check out my co-host's channel. He's only got his own channel over <laughs> on YouTube. What's it called? The, the Geek Sandbag. The Geek Sandbag. Yeah, working on some new vids as well. Now I'm back in the saddle. He's back in the game. Yeah, back in yeah. the game. Go, go and have a look at all my old vids. They're good. Yes. <laughs> Loads of really cool stuff. I say this every week, and I'm not lying. There's so many cool videos over on Adam's channel. Years worth of very cool geekery stuff over there. There's reviews and unboxings and 
on-the-spot things and convention reports and location visits. It's a very, very cool channel. Go and grab a cup of tea and go and get lost in all that stuff. <laughs> you won't regret that. So next week, as we said, reset from Torchwood. We look forward to seeing what Martha's up to with those guys. Until then, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Hey. 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 Hey.